Welcome to another edition of the Care Exchange, the Skills for Care podcast for managers in social care. I'm Pia Raftier Burton. And I'm Ali Rusbridge. Thank you to everyone who have listened to the first three episodes and have subscribed to the podcast. We've had some really great feedback so far and so good to hear when managers say that they found it useful to listen. Yeah, we've had feedback that managers have picked up lots of good tips, which was one of the things we really wanted from this podcast. So that's really great. Yeah, great stuff. We really want as many managers as possible to listen to the podcast. So if you link or know any other managers, do tell them about the Care Exchange. Yeah, and, and also do let us know if you have any feedback. Either in, uh, you can put it on your podcast platform or you can email us and our details are on the website. In the last two episodes, we talked to managers who have managed care homes for older people. And we're really keen to talk to managers from all types of services in social care. So today we're talking to Ronnie Lillywhite. Ronnie's managed a number of supported living services for people with disabilities and she's often the manager that's asked to support a service that needs improvement and therefore she's got a huge amount of experience working with services that are required to improve and we thought it'd be really interesting to talk to her and find out more. So on with the show. Right, Ronnie, thank you very much for talking to yeah. us today. So just want to start talking a little bit about your journey in so- social care. How was that? Um, okay, so about 18 years ago, um, I made the decision to leave the corporate world, you know, where you used to earn money, and I thought I'd come into social care. Um, that kind of started, um, I worked in a secondary school with disengaged students in years 9, 10 and 11, um, and doing that work I became really interested in why people were disengaged Um, that kind of brought me into behaviors that challenged and the function that drives our behaviors and gradually that took me into working with people with disabilities so I started first of all working with children and young people with disabilities Mm -hmm. in a play and leisure setting Um, and I then moved into supported living as I I kind of wanted to work with fewer people and be able to make more of a focus difference in their lives. Um, And then I took a little foray into a 68 bed care home for a year, um, but realised that supported living was where I felt most at home. And that's now where I am. I'm back. I'm back at home um, managing the supported living service. Okay. And, And the people you're supporting are mainly learning disability and autism. Um, actually, no. So in, in my home now, it's profound disabilities with um, complex health needs. OK. Um, and why is why sort of kind of learning disability, physical disability? Um, wow. I'd, um, I guess it's because I'm on my toes all the time in my learning and my understanding and everybody that I work with. Um, is completely different. So everybody at the moment, for example, is nonverbal, but each of them has own got, they've each got their own really unique communication systems. And that fascinates me. Um, It fascinates me that even with the most complex disabilities, people can still achieve. And I love that. Um, So I guess it's the personal challenge for me. um, And being able to facilitate somebody's development and enhance their life is just the greatest privilege i think yeah Mm. 
And you spoke about supported living. Yeah. Um, so lots of people don't understand what supported living. Can you just explain what, what it is and how it's different to a care home, for instance? So like a registered care home. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right then. So day to day, there shouldn't be an obvious difference for the person that we're supporting. So the care should be person centred and empowering in both settings. So as you walk in, you shouldn't know the difference, in my view, but there are differences. Um, so in a registered care home, for example, care and support is commissioned by the local authority. And the two things, the home um, where the person lives and the support provider are quite tied together. And it's a bit of a bundle package. Yeah. Whereas for people in supported living, it's not so much a bundle package. Um, their home and their support are not codependent um, and they have their own tenancies and they have their own home, which is fabulous, just like you and I have. Um, and so the home is not dependent on the support provider and vice versa. So if the support provider were to change, the person's home doesn't need to change. So they've, they've got that fantastic yeah. security. Yeah. Um, how things are paid for is quite different. So in supported living, people um, can have a range of benefits to help with their living costs. Um, whereas in residential care, few benefits remain and their living costs are part and parcel of that yeah. bundle package. So they don't get the same independence and autonomy with their finances. I guess the in a nutshell, I see residential care, if you think of that as your all-inclusive holiday. So yeah. everything is included in your top line, your accommodation, your support, yeah. your entertainment, yeah. your food. Um, you know, you've got your wristband on and it all happens. Um, whereas supported living is more create your own holiday where you pick and choose the different bits of your holiday that you want um, and what you can afford. So you have more freedom to bespoke it is how I see it. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. I guess you could argue that supported living reflects real life quite nicely. Um, yeah. And it really promotes the notion of independence and empowerment with the person being at the center of the world. Yeah, um, Sounds to me like you really are an advocate for supported living as, as a model. Is it coming across like that, Ali? <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. Do you know, I, I am because I've worked under the Transforming Care Agenda where we have been driven to bring people out of institutions, out of one size fits all. And it is such a privilege to be able to encourage and develop individualised care. And, you know, I, I work, I'm very fortunate, as in most supportive livings, we work on one to one hours and it's really bespoke. So I'm not managing a service on core hours where I've got to move it over here for Joe and move it over there for Pam and so it, it really does enable choice um and that's what I'm passionate about is choice for people that we support yeah yeah, yeah. it sounds sounds really good and really good explanation with a holiday I like, I yeah. like that a lot it really oh, you. It, you know gives a good good uh, kind of indication of what it, what it is for people who may not have come across and I think it's mainly learning disability service on mental health where where it's kind of really um you know kind of most people live in support living comes from those yeah. or physical disability but it certainly is a, a knock on residential care either because there's fabulous no. care there as well mm. um I guess mm. just for me I've learned where I feel most at home um yeah yeah 
yeah and I, and I think it's it's like anything it's a little bit like a all-inclusive and a, and a you know you know you, you choose yourself holiday oh. you know everybody likes different things and you might like different things at different times of your life you know or depending so, on you know what what you're what how you're feeling yeah. at that particular time so that isn't there uh, one or the other yeah. it, you know it's about that, that personal choice it is yeah so I know when you when you talked to us before today, you were talking a lot about the services that you have managed over the years yeah. in support living, which have been around. You know, you've been asked to go and 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 work in a service that needed improvement, yeah. and you've kind of done a lot of that. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about that. So, in terms of why I end up doing that, or how I do it, yeah. <laughs> we go well, I think how? I think think how first. Well, you know, yeah. what are the thing when you first introduced to a service, mm. what are the things that you start looking at? How do you how do you start? How do I start? I I need to know what needs to be done. Um, I'm somebody that needs a bit of a plan, um, and the way that I tend to do that is we go in and we have a very open and honest audit of every aspect of the service very much a no turn no stone unturned approach um because you need to know what you're playing with in order to prioritize so i start with the audit and we do look at everything um so that's our top line that audit then imp- then informs my service improvement plan my service improvement plan informs my action plan so yeah. they're my three steps it's audit improvement plan action plan okay and when you are prioritizing Mm -hmm. how do you do that what are the things you're prioritizing safety safety comes trumps every single time um there's loads of little nices pia that i want to put my hands on and you know get all those looking fabulous but they can come later um it's the it's the safety so i look at my high risk areas I look at my fire safety, medication processes, manual handling, choking risks, etc. Um, making sure I've got the right information for my support plans. So that means linking with my um, professionals to make sure my assessments are up to date, etc. Um, so is that my team have got informed support plans to provide safe care. And talking about that team, mm. when you're first starting work with a team what are the sort of kind of working with them I know I should do or what I don't always do so I'll give you this this is what I would like to achieve every time um but there's some reflection that I don't always get it right but I think the first thing I need to do is step back um and remember not to manage this team how I managed my last team it's really easy to move into a new service excuse me in the mindset of the relationship that you've just left but actually you forget that that took many months to get to that point so that would be a real learning point for me is not to assume my team here are in the same place as my old team um so I'm trying to be far more aware to step back be very aware of the culture that is in place um and to consider what needs to be changed, why it needs to be changed, and how. So for that, I'd be looking at my team, um, identifying the people within my team and the roles that they've slipped into, formal and 
informal actually are probably the more interesting roles. Um, understanding who has the influence within the team. Um, and I think it's about getting to know each team member as individuals, to know what they need from me. Um, and I would say, and this is an observation perhaps in many worlds, but I think it's noticeable in social care. We forget that we are in a world that advocates person-centred care. Um, and I don't think we always treat our team as we would treat the people that we support. I would never move somebody in a service, a person that I'm supporting, without understanding you know, their individual motivations, their needs, there'd be a transition plan, we would have it all, yeah, we yeah. would explain the move. Yeah, yeah. We don't do that with our teams. And we mm. forget that our teams, they struggle with change too. Mm. Um, and if they don't know that direction that they're going in, how are they going to get there? So that's an observation that I would make is I try to put person-centred care into person-centred leading. Um, yeah. And that's hard to do when you're busy and you've got all of your task focuses to do. Um, but I think that that is really important. Um, I also think that I try to really look at the different team members, and this is a bit against, I suppose, the model that we do in our you know, leadership courses. We're always told, aren't we, to look at our key players. You know, look at those people with influence and get them on side and and that that will really support spreading your message. But I'm starting to look at a bit of diff a different way now within my services. And I'm I look far more at the values and the contribution of the quieter people in my team mm. and finding ways to encourage their confidence and their voice in the team. Um, I've been increasingly aware that it's sometimes the people with less influence and a quieter voice um, who can be my real game changers. Um, so I'm increasingly trying to spend more time with them to nurture them, to reach out to them, give them that voice that they might not have had before because of those bigger characters. Um, having said all of that, I reflect on myself, um, but I'm aware that sometimes I can be a little bit too task focused. Um, and that's where I think sometimes I don't give my team enough time and investment because you cannot change culture on your own. You've got to have that buy-in. Um, but sometimes some of the services that I've gone into have needed a lot of work very quickly. Um, and safety has been my, yeah, you know, it's, an it's immediate. Safety, isn't it? You've got, yeah. you've got those two things to think about, the don't balance. you? Really? You've got the, the safety and then making sure you've got that team buy-in, which is really important. Yeah. And it's something... I was going to ask, Ronnie, yeah. in terms, because you said you started with an audit, which is quite a task-focused activity. Uh -huh. And at the same time, you're trying to really bring your team on board. How, how do you do that? Do you do the audit on your own? Or is that something that you get the team to do with you or... A bit of both. Balance, it it, it yeah. is that balance. And it's a little bit of both. Um, I personally don't like doing the audit because I think you can be blinkered very quickly. Mm. So yeah. I find it really helpful to either have somebody from quality and compliance come in or another manager to come in and audit the service. Yeah. Um, because I find if you do your own audit, you, you do, you, you then get a perception 
as you go through the rest of your service. Um, And it also gives a bit of a distance. So when you're taking over a team that perhaps has not been delivering a service in the way that the organization wants, if you are the person who has identified the issues and you are the person who is solving them, it can feel very personal. Whereas if you are the person who is implementing the changes that are needed from another audit, that can be a really helpful tool in moving forward. Yeah. No, I can I can see that because people people automatically take things very personal, don't you? So if you're coming along, it's a little bit like when you uh, when you've been on holiday and you come back and you see your house again for for you remember the days when we went on holiday. Yeah. You know, you see your, back, your, yeah. your house again for, for the first time in two weeks or, or whatever you kind of think oh god that you know that we need to paint that or whatever but if somebody else came in and said to you oh don't you think you need to uh you know if a mum comes and says that yeah. you know I, you immediately think how dare you speak to me about my you know my walls or yeah. whatever or my garden or whatever it is and it's, it's very very similar isn't it yeah. you, because staff spend so much time and and give so much when they are at work yeah if somebody comes in and criticizes what they do, it can be very difficult not to take that personally. And I yeah. think that's a really good approach. Get somebody else yeah. to do the order, do really thorough audit. And then after that, you come in as 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 the manager and say, Okay, how are we together gonna kind yeah. of overcome some of these things? Yeah. yeah, really interesting. And and in terms of kind of the other people who are involved, you know, families, commissioners um h- how do you get them to i don't know sort of trust you trust your judgment trust the, t- the things that you're you the, the, the things that you are improving i think it's as you're building any relationship same as a person you support same as your staff team you need to be open and transparent communicate regularly ask what they need from me all of my families and you know other professionals need something different want something different so I don't know what they want unless I take the time to ask them how often do you want feedback from me do you want to know every time Joe goes to the doctors or do you just want to know when he's on antibiotics it's that level of detail so you know you're delivering what people want um be really responsive so if they have contacted you, get back to them really quickly, because that's the biggest thing I would say as a new person coming in. If you've made people wait for a phone call inadvertently because you're busy straight away, they don't feel valued. Mm-hmm. So be responsive. Um, it would be my top line. And I think with families as well, as we all do now, we work around the clock. But I'll always make time to say to families, when is it best that I call you? And if it's of an evening or a weekend, that's when I'll do it. Mm. So being available for them when it's good for them. And I think once you show people that you value them, that you're interested, that is half your battle. Um, And then it's just keeping up the regular communication and be so honest. If there has been a medication error, if somebody has, you know, got a mark on them, ring the family and be really honest and then... I don't know. I just think be open, be honest. That's how I think you need to do it. Yeah. Mm. And obviously we are in the middle of a pandemic. Yeah. And it must be very difficult to, yeah. you know, you have a have tasks to do in terms of improvement and then you've got a yeah. pandemic in the middle of all that. How do you keep focused? Oh, Pia, it is, it is horrendous at the moment. I don't think any of us in social care have ever lived 
through anything like this at the moment. Um, so it is really hard to stay focused. Um, and I'm not going to lie, business as usual is really hard to maintain at the moment. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, for me, it's about rechecking my priorities um, and accepting that they are going to change on a daily basis. Not getting so caught up with my to-do list, but learning to drop it if my team need me. Mm. Um, so I think it's about, and this is quite hard for somebody who likes to be planned and processed. Um, <laughs> so I, I've had to just accept I can't achieve what I used to achieve. So strategies that I've put in place for that is I've actually given, reduced my to-do list. I do it in tiny chunks now. You know, if I was going to review I don't know, a salt plan, let's say, for example, whereas ordinarily I would, in that one sitting, I would be drawing together, you know, the dysphagia tool, the new salt assessment, da, 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 da. Now I'll say to myself, right, today I'm going to look at the dysphagia tool and just look at the past three months as to where we've been. Yeah. Tomorrow I'm going to do, so I don't set myself such a big task. Mm -hmm. um, so I, that's something that's been really helpful lately. Um, and the other one is the support of my peers. Um, the managers in my locality at the moment, we have a Thursday night catch up every week without fail, um, which you can drop in and out of. And sometimes it's a worky call. Um, you know, have you seen the latest form on this? Have you seen? And other times it is just let our hair down. We'll, mm. you know, we'll laugh. Last week we cried because unfortunately we'd had a really tough week in one of our services, but we're there for each other. And that has given us so much support. I would say you are not in this alone. Whatever you're feeling, so are all your peers. Um, and lean on each other. Yeah. So that has finding. been a massive support for us. Yeah. And I think it's about finding finding who they are, you know, and, and some people won't won't be part of a group. They, yeah. But it's to go out and, and find those people. They are so many groups they've started up or yeah. were already existing that there will be something near you or something that suits you to kind yeah. of have that chance to just say, I've had an awful day today yeah. or, you know, or, or, you know, actually I've had a little bit of a victory today I just need to celebrate it yeah. you know what, what whatever it is yeah. um you know have that have that opportunity to to kind of let go and yeah. and, and talk to someone and it's that so, safe space isn't it um yeah. and what's really nice with the, the group of managers that I'm in is we can swing from I've had the most awful day today and there'll be tears and all the rest of it and then someone else will quite comfortably be able to say I've had a fantastic day can I share that and all of a sudden that's not seen as, well, I've just told you my life is awful. Yeah. It's a real balance of lifting each other because you get you get to hear the great things that are going on as well. Mm -hmm. Because pandemic or not, the great things are still out there yeah. and great things are still happening in our services. Yeah. But you don't know that when you're going through crisis in yours. Yeah. And we still need to hear those real positive stories because that's what lifts us. Yeah. Mm -hmm. and and just to kind of go back to sort of kind of my question around um you know how to kind of focus on improvement I can yeah. imagine that's that a little bit of you know we are in a crisis and we are together actually yeah. helps to build that that teamwork and that culture that perhaps have have not been so good when you first start I you know um working with a service that needs improvement yeah. and it can be you know often 
the when you look when you look at improvement and you look at teams where things are not working yeah. it's often around culture and people not working very well together yeah. and you can imagine that actually a pandemic for for all the stresses and all the things that's yeah. happening that actually sometimes that draws people together and they feel that they have a common aim they feel that they are you know they're battling together they yes. you know we can do this type yeah. um, um kind of a feeling isn't it without a doubt and i would when we look at how awful covid is and it is it's horrendous but i've never felt so connected with my peers now that we're in this world because we've needed so much more support we've actively gone out it's not like where you've popped into the office and seen each other for 10 minutes and we're always on the phone to each other you know have you got this have you already done that and this network of support is like nothing I've ever experienced before. And that's through the pressures of COVID. So it is awful, but some fantastic practices have come out of COVID. Let's hope we can cling on to those when hopefully one day COVID won't be uh, the challenge it is now. Uh, We can actually cling on to those, you know, that that support network, those staff teams working really well together because they have a common aim, you know, some of those practices. Yes. Yes. Uh, thanks so much, Ron, for, for sharing. You know, the, the, there are positives even in such a difficult yeah. time. That's a really useful <laughs> reminder. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to move us on to some questions that we ask everybody in our conversations on the podcast. And, okay. And the first question, okay, the first question is, what story or experience do you always tell people? It could be in a work setting or a social setting, but what's your go-to story? My go-to story is to explain something that, um okay so I have a real issue when we don't seek consent from people that we support um and I mean in every aspect I mean um if we're putting a sock on somebody we're telling them we're about to do that um everything every aspect we should be seeking consent and informing um and the story that I always tell with this just to try and get it resonated and maybe this is why it's my bugbear. Um, but about 20 years ago, I was extremely ill um, in hospital um, and I needed full, not full support, but an awful lot of support, my personal care, feeding, etc. And I, to this day, can remember the feeling in the pit of my stomach when I was washed and moved and talked over about what the nurses had done the night before. and. Um, and how utterly unimportant and worth nothing that I felt. Mm. And I tell that story to people to say, you know, you, you, you need to put yourself in that position of what it is like to have things done to you and how awful it is. And people off A, they sit and look at me and they think, you know, I'm reasonably young, <laughs> I'm reasonably active. And you don't necessarily think that, 20 years ago I was you know unable to do quite a bit for myself for a long period of time and that reality then makes people start to think ah you know they see it from another perception um and that's the story I always impart with people as to why I'm constantly saying please seek consent you know, and I think they all get annoyed with me when I'm working alongside them and we're doubling up for personal care. And all I'm ever saying is I'm just going to pop this onto your arm now. And oh, just moving your arm over. That's it. Can I just lift your head up? Is that OK? And they think I'm wittering on all the time, which I am, because how dare I do something to somebody without telling them and asking yeah. them? 
So that is, that's my story. That's my passion. I mean, thanks for sharing that. That's an incredibly powerful story. And I can imagine the impact, you know, mm. really telling that story to people. It really brings it home. Yeah. So thank you. That, that's that's great. Uh, the next thing I was going to ask you, I mean, you, you, you've come across with um, real passion about your work already. But if I had to put you on the spot and say, mm. what do you really, really like about what you do? But, you know, the second really there, what's the, the bit that you really love about your work? The people that we support, um, seeing them, develop um watching active support and active participation when it is it's like watching poetry and you see people who are profoundly disabled achieving something every day and that is what I really really love yeah, yeah. That's, that's great yeah, and you, it, it's come across in your face. Uh-huh. Yeah, <laughs> and the listeners can't see you, but you're you're radiating that light um, so much, and, and that, that's lovely. Uh, and again, you you've talked a lot about some of the time um, uh, ways that you manage your time, particularly during the pandemic. Uh-huh. So, but our time for care slot is that we really want you to share what you would say your most time saving tip is um, for other managers. What 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 are the many things that you use would you want to pass on to others? Um, my Outlook diary, I would say, and how I use that. Um, so I don't just use it for, for meetings. Um, I block out time for everything. Mm-hmm. Um, and not just time for the task, but time for the follow-up of that task. Because how often do we run from meeting to meeting to meeting, supervision to supervision to supervision? when do you write all of that up so if I'm going to if something is going to take me an hour if a meeting is going to take, let's say a supervision well I block off an hour I will give myself an hour and a half so as that I can write those notes up straight away and they don't then end up on my to-do list um and just for the value of that you know how often have we done a supervision with somebody and we've said I'll get the notes to you <laughs> and then three weeks later when it's been moved up and down. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's been moved up and down your to-do list with all the other competing priorities. How devalued does your staff member feel? Mm-hmm. You've said you're going to get it to them, and so I've learned to to do that and to make it realistic. So I'm not going to say today I'm going to achieve these twenty things, which I know I can't achieve. Mm-hmm. So I so use your Outlook diary as a to-do list, as a, but it's a practical to-do list, yeah. you know, um, so that is my to-do list, is my Outlook diary. I, I love that, I'm going to start doing that, so actually building in time after a meeting yeah. to do the follow-up that you need, um, yeah. that is such good advice, thanks so much for that one. That's okay. Uh, I'm going to make it even harder for you now, because okay, uh, <laughs> you've said so much, you've given us so many um, uh, tips and, and ideas, but if you were to be asked to describe your ideas in three words, what would those three words be? Ideas for... So almost you... like a takeaway. Takeaway. Yeah. Okay. To, um, okay, to listen, mm-hmm. to reflect, yeah. and to act with balance. I know that's three, but just see it as one, because it's... Cheating and giving their reasons oh, okay. as well. So we're, we're being a bit flexible. Oh, okay. Here. There you go then. To listen, to reflect, and to act with balance. Thank you. Why the last one particularly? 
because there are always two sides to every story and nothing is ever what it seems Pia on your first glance so don't form an opinion until you've balanced everything that's in the picture. I think you're completely right and I think as a as a register manager or ex-register manager myself I, I have fallen into that that gap so many yeah. times where you know somebody's coming you know or been presented by a situation and I think oh yeah I know exactly what this is yeah and then you start speaking to others you yeah. know doing some digging and suddenly you see more than one side to it to, to yeah. whatever whatever it is and I think that's a incredibly good advice mm. um so thank you for that thank you so thank you very much for talking to us today it's been really insightful and I'm, I'm really impressed by your reflecting of your of yourself and and um and and, and you know can only can only say you know I hope things improve in both in terms of the task you've got to complete, but also in terms of COVID. So thank you very much for today. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks so much. Thank you to our guest, Ronnie Lillywhite. Really enjoyed talking to Ronnie today. She had so many tips on how to make improvements and how to work effectively with teams. Um, I thought when she was talking about how going into a service um, starting to look at those audits that have been done by somebody else and then work out what are the priorities. Mm. Um, Skills for Care has got a, a webinar called Driving and Evidencing Improving in Difficult Times. And there's also some bite-sized resources that really kind of helps that first step, you know, thinking about those uh, audits, how to identify what needs to improve. Mm-hmm. I think that she was really, really helpful with some great ideas that the way she approaches things. She's obviously learned a lot from have, having done that for, for yeah. a while. But I was interested in the fact that she was really stressing that it was always safety, which was her bottom yeah. line. That was the thing that she really stressed. And that, that, that was interesting to me because um, I know that, for example, CQC during the pandemic have changed their approach to inspection, haven't they? Yeah. And safety is, again, the one thing that they're really focusing yeah. on even more than ever and, and that reminded me that we've got um, at the moment we've, we've worked on a video which is preparing for that transitional monitoring approach so if anyone hasn't had um, uh, any contact with CQC and wants to see that I think that's quite a useful resource just to remind you of that and I know, you know not all services are CQC registered but I think it's some um, really useful uh, advice anyway on the importance of the things to really focus on um, during such a difficult time as, as the pandemic at the moment. Yeah. And I thought it was really interesting how when she was talking about safety and she was then moving on to other things she wanted to do, but due to the pandemic, she kind of was went yeah. back to that safety. Um, yeah. And that was the most important thing. And, and you know, you know, that was the absolute number one priority of the yeah. people's safety. So, yeah, mm. really interesting. Good advice. So thank you for listening today. Do have a look at our show notes for more details of the resources that we talked about. Um, We always have lots of uh, additional resources that are available on our website. Yeah, and and don't forget the Care Exchange is a monthly podcast, so make sure you click on the subscribe button so you can get notifications of the latest episode. And uh, don't miss the next episode because you can follow the Care Exchange by downloading the Podbean app. And you can also listen and subscribe through your usual podcast streaming service. 
And if you enjoyed the Care Exchange podcast, please share with anyone else who you think would benefit from it. Thanks for listening. Thank you.